Woodard, and this is Admire, where it's my great privilege to have conversations with outstanding guests from business, sports, entertainment, and education. My guest today was an excellent student and athlete who earned an undergraduate degree in political science and master's in political science and international relations, went into finance, and then co-founded Essence Magazine, a magazine targeting black women whose significance cannot be overstated. He ran the magazine as CEO and publisher for over 30 years. Ed Lewis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. It's a pleasure to be on. Thank you. Uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself, and I'm anxious to get uh, to a few, let's call it, meaty questions. But first, let's set the stage for our listeners. You're a New Yorker, from the Bronx specifically. Tell us about your family and your upbringing. Yes, I was born in the Bronx, uh, in the projects. I'm lucky to be My mother was a a beautician, and my father was a janitor for 25 years at City College. Very fortunately, my mother is from Virginia, and uh, I spent all my summers at my grandparents' farm, Mm -hmm. in which my family, particularly my grandmother, truly believed that hard work killed nobody, so the inculcation of hard work was a part of my DNA. That's great. Uh, So while you were still growing up and in New York, and I guess between New York and Virginia, what was your awakening? Who were your influences? What made you believe there was a future out there for you? My awakening has to do with my family, uh, being in Virginia, coming out of the uh, uh, depression, the importance of of, uh, education, and the importance of hard work, and listening to all the stories that my uh, ancestors uh, talked about, how they survived, what they had to do, and how we had pulled together in terms of being a family. Yeah. My grandmother had such a powerful impact, not only on her children, but her grandchildren, mm-hmm. that when she died in 1971, we already had family reunions wow. at the family compound. Um, and she asked us to continue to have our family reunions, and this past August was our 62nd year. My goodness. But even having said that, my grandmother was really my introduction to the empowerment of a black woman. Because when her husband was killed in 1929, she was given a settlement of $5,000, and she bought 110 acres of land uh, in Virginia. And that's where she grew all her 14 children um, and grandchildren as I came to be one of them. And so that's where it began. Well, that's a, that's a great story, and, and I understand the story even viscerally. I mean, my dad was, uh, was one of 13 uh, in North Carolina where they still own the farm, and, uh, you know, just really, really had some of, uh, I guess, the same kind of pushing and influences. So you, you graduate high school and you go west, young man, to New Mexico. Yeah, take us through your experience going to school in New Mexico, deciding on a path after college and the start of your career. Well, in high school, I was a pretty good football player, so I got a scholarship to the University of New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I knew about New Mexico then was that the comic bomb was going in Los Alamos and exploded in Alamogordo. And so coming to New Mexico, 2,500 miles from New York was a true culture shock. There's only 8,000 students. There were five blacks and one black woman. Wow. The year that I came in. And so to, to adjust um, and uh, to interact with uh, Anglo-Americans, Hispanics, and Native Americans was all a part of, of my growing into maturity being at the University of New Mexico. When I was a kid, I think I was five or six years old, and my dad was uh, in Thailand. We are a military family. Uh, he put oh, us yes, in, yes, uh, yes, we, yes. Yeah, we were in Roswell uh, Air Force yes. Base, New Mexico. <laughs> and uh, all I remember were the dust storms, you know, the salamanders. Yes. I mean, that's, uh, that, that's a, that's really has to be a culture shock for somebody from the Bronx. I hope you remember the sunset. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it was, it was God's country, but it was uh, it was it was barren, you know, uh, in a lot of ways. And you know, Albuquerque only had five thousand um, uh, five thousand uh, people, mm-hmm. and the whole state, even to this day, only has twenty five to thirty thousand blacks in all of New Mexico. Yeah, it's uh, that's amazing. Um, so you're, you know, so you're in New Mexico and you're in that, um, that, that environment. I mean, what, what did that, what did that teach you? I mean, was it reinforcing or was it uh, off-putting? What, what was going on there? It was reinforcing in terms of the, the individuals that I met, mm-hmm. uh, the blacks who came when I did in 1958. Um, we came together, um, we partied together, mm-hmm. um, my professors and friends that I was able to meet and, and how they took to me and. I got involved in, after one year, by the way, I lost my football scholarship. And and so that was a, a big shock to me because I thought I was on a four-year scholarship, which right. turned out not to be. Mm. Um, but I was always um, interested in, in, in education. And so I took uh, political science and I happened to have an incredible, wonderful relationship with a professor of Russian and Chinese history. So I took Russian and Chinese history, and which fueled my interest in international affairs. And so I grew uh, in uh, New Mexico because of friends. And, and the other thing that it taught me, too, uh, that um, traveling back and forth uh, across the country uh, by car, uh, this is a huge country. Mm. And people are very different. And, and we need to understand that this, how big this country is and how people, how they think differently and and you just need to adjust and navigate mm-hmm. in terms of in terms of what you decide to do with yourself. All right. So you um, so you finish up and you're studying political science. Did you go right into grad school or did you work between? And then how did you? I went. I, I went to graduate school um, and, and got my master's in political science, and then I got accepted into Georgetown Law School. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was on my way to be a big time lawyer. <laughs> um, but after one year, the the one academic failure that I've ever had um, that I flunked out of Georgetown Law School. And it was a, a, a real ego-busting for me because uh, I'd never failed in school. I love going to school. Mm-hmm. My, my mother had, and father had no difficulty about me going to school. And so this was a, a real shock. So I had to pull myself up and uh, come together with uh, what happened to me. And, and fortunately, when I look back upon it, if that had not happened, I would not have gone and had an opportunity to go work for the, the First National City Bank in, in New York. And by working at First National City Bank, uh, the opportunity arose in 1968 about getting involved in starting a magazine for black women. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did in, in, in 1968 when the idea was conceived. Right. You know, it, it's amazing to me because, um, you know, for, for so many of us growing up, you know, the, the professions that just seem to be so shiny, you know, uh, to, to us and our parents, laws being one of them. You know, I was a political yeah. science major as well on my way to being a lawyer. Got very, very lucky and got exposed to it um, as an undergraduate and realized that I didn't like what lawyers did and I didn't like lawyers. Right. So, um, you know, uh, at, at Syracuse, it's got that new house school, the wonderful advertising school. And I fell in love mm-hmm. and, and, and that was sort of my career and the rest of it. Uh, I loved reading your book. I absolutely loved it. The oh, man from you. essence, you. Uh, you know, creating a magazine for black women, the ideal of, of failing forward or taking risk and having them work in your favor has played a big role in your career. Can you talk to us a little yes, about it that? Has. You, you, um, uh, 
in life, uh, you're going to have your ups and downs. And you're going to have to be able to pull yourself up. Uh, I've always had great admiration for salespeople. Right. Having, when we were trying to uh, um, secure money for Essence in our early days, we made many, many presentations on Wall Street, got turned down repeatedly, but we needed to pick ourselves up and keep on going uh, and not take it personal uh, in order to achieve the goal that we wanted of, of getting some financing to uh, to help start uh, this magazine. Mm-hmm. And particularly for us as, as black people, what we've had to overcome all the obstacles that have been put in our way. We've had to find a way to um, be stronger, uh, survive, and and just keep on going. Right. Now, um, there are so many magazines out there, and I, I was always a big reader. And, um, you know, from time to time, I've had a favorite magazine, you know, whether it's Inc. Magazine because I was starting a company or, uh, or uh, you know, Advertising Age or Black Enterprise. But yeah. uh, I remember... Uh, when my wife um, got the first issue of Essence, when she fell in love with it. And I mean, well, we would move and we would haul around the entire collection. Um, if people are not uh, uh, a woman of color, they do not realize how important that magazine was and what it did. Um, it wasn't just, and I've told you this before, it wasn't just that the magazine was powerful and she couldn't wait for each issue. It was that it connected her to to black women everywhere, to writers, to, to 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 what people were thinking, to fashion. And we were in Syracuse. And I just yeah. remember one of the most important things to her, you know, on, on a monthly basis was to get that magazine. Um, you know, much, yes. much later, uh, I got an opportunity to really talk to advertisers like uh, General Motors and stuff and tell them that there's a difference between this magazine delivering this population and other magazines that you have. Um, did you set out to make that kind of magazine and how did that come about to, to actually have it become what it became? You know, when we came together uh, with the idea of starting a magazine for black women, all the other magazines uh, like Vogue or Harper's Bazaar or Good Housekeeping or Red Book, uh, we're not dealing with the aspirations of beauty of black women. Mm-hmm. And that's where we saw our niche because black women were not uh, shown their history, their beauty, and intelligence. Mm-hmm. So the idea of starting a magazine that would talk about her experience, her beauty, her character, her role, was ever most important in, in, in starting the magazine in, ni- in May of 1970. Mm-hmm. By the way, this is the 50th year wow. of Essence Magazine. Mm-hmm. And part two it stems from my own family background. I come from strong of strong black women, starting with my grandmother, my mother, uh, my aunts. I watched them. I appreciated them. I see, saw how hard they worked. Uh, they were not really appreciated. I saw how they dressed for the nines when they went to church, um, always kept themselves together, opinionated. And so getting involved in starting a magazine was to to say to my, uh, uh, my heroes, my grandmother and my mother, uh, mm-hmm. that you mattered. And I wanted to do something or be a part of something that would really uh, celebrate you. And so what has happened in these 50 years, Mm -hmm. what you just said just a few moments ago, we were able to connect editorially with the ideas of providing a wealth of information for black women to to become, to feel good about, uh, to know that they had a magazine that they could call a friend, that they can call their own. Mm -hmm. And I think that was really very important. I would like to think that 
all black women read uh, Essence. Right. They don't. That's why we have to, Essence always had to stand on its own and making sure that it delivers on a monthly basis, editorially, that, that black women felt good about it. And obviously, black women made a decision uh, that uh, we're going to continue to be supportive of this publication. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's still going strong after 50 years. So uh, in our current environment with the Lean In and Me Too movements and with the progress women have made in society and business, could you successfully launch a venture like Essence or Latina Magazine today? Uh, what would be different, if anything? It's always uh, tough uh, to launch any kind of business. Uh, but I recall back even during the Depression uh, that the businesses were launched. And so uh, I, I truly believe uh, that uh, being an entrepreneur, uh, that one could uh, launch a magazine uh, in this environment or digitally uh, uh, launch a magazine as long as it's got a niche, it's got something that's going to differentiate itself, mm-hmm. uh, that can really connect uh, with an audience, and that how see how this audience responds. Mm-hmm. And it's all about uh, really uh, uh, being authentic, uh, being true to what you're trying to do, and, and being delivered, really deliver on your promise. Essence, for example, as a result of, of uh, the magazine being what it is, we were able to start a, a, a festival mm-hmm. in New Orleans over the over the 4th of July weekend, uh, 26 years ago now. And I used to tell people the only reason why someone would come to New Orleans over the 4th of July weekend huh. is because they had a reason. The reason was the magazine. Because the reader knew that the magazine would deliver uh, in terms of providing something that uh, they could feel very good about. And what Essence has been able to do, for example, at the festival, is deliver 500,000 people over the weekend. It's just mind-boggling to see what happens with people coming from all over the United States uh, uh, internationally to come to a family reunion, I like to say, mm-hmm. with a party with a purpose. Well, I absolutely love the Essence Festival. Have been able to to go there with my wife, um, you know, on several occasions, and um, you know, for a guy, uh, one the entertainment and all the rest of that stuff is just. Uh, but it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful event. You, in fact, were early to the party, enlarging the footprint of the magazine from print to digital to the Essence Festival, TV, fashion yes. line, mail order business. What's the state of the publishing business today? I think about Black Enterprise. I reached out to Butch a few weeks ago when his father, Earl, the founder of the publication, passed. What's the future of Essence and like publications? Very tough um, uh, going forward. Uh, By the way, uh, Black Enterprise started in August of 1970. Mm -hmm. In Essence, came out in May of 1970. But I honestly believe, uh, particularly with um, uh, the impact that black women are having uh, politically and and uh, and continue to to raise their voice uh, that if essence can continue to connect uh, relate to what their needs are deal with issues of, of career uh, wealth money community uh, growing up children that it can find a place because even with what's going on uh, essence uh, still can connect with its reader and it's incumbent upon an important part from the standpoint of the editorial staff right. to find a way to connect with the reader that they do. They're going to survive, even notwithstanding uh, that what's going on within the, within the publishing business is a very difficult environment. Right. Very difficult in terms of getting, as you know, Larry, uh, advertising. Yes. Uh, and only the strong magazines are going to be able to survive and continue to move on. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I like the way you put that emphasis on unrelevant because it's hard to trump that, you know. And so many times, um, you know, when when people get the privilege of uh, of talking to audiences, particularly like let's say the African American audience, um, you know, eventually they squander it. You know, they they use us to leverage it to to get to a certain place, and then they fall off. And so there's always the uh, the opportunity for someone that's truly relevant. Um, we are living through one of the most challenging times of our generation. Yeah. Yes. Uh, how are you coping with the fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic? And um, what do you see for businesses coming out of all of this? Very, very difficult. Uh, I'm here in Los Angeles. I'm by coastal. Yeah. I live in New York and I live here in Los Angeles. I've not seen anything like this in, in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. I surely remember what my ancestors, my family told me about the depression. Right. But this is uh, quite different. Uh, with regard to a worldwide uh, pandemic uh, that's going to have incredible impact in everything that we do uh, going forward. And businesses are going to have to adjust, cope to just an incredible new reality. I don't see, for example, restaurants truly coming back uh, in the way that we we knew them uh, in the past. Uh, For for us as African-Americans, we truly, truly not... I, if I you have to use the word beg, I won't say that. Mm-hmm. We need to really take care of ourselves with regard to what our health needs are. Yes, and and because we are disproportionately being uh, killed with this uh, virus, every precautionary steps that are being suggested uh, with regard to mass social distancing, uh, what we eat, um, 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 we should take that very seriously yeah. uh, in order to be able to uh, survive. But businesses are going to be very, very different with regards to how we, they're going to have to adjust to just an incredible new reality. And what we need is a total worldwide strategy of how to, uh, if, if, if certainly reduce, if not eliminate this virus, because it, it's going to be around. Uh, and, and so we're going to need to make sure that we cope, be smart, and um, uh, do the best that we can. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you're dead on on both accounts. You know, um, uh, we're going to need, you know, that strategy and uh, and particularly what you're saying about the the African-American um, you know population, where if we've, you know, lacked discipline and we've lacked working together in the past, um, you know, now it's about survivability, you know, and certainly in terms of health. Um, I read once um, a few years ago that health outcomes for affluent African-Americans and for uh, for African-Americans that are not affluent are similar, particularly in men. And it's all about taking care of yourself, you know? Um, Absolutely. And uh, so, so I think that you're, you're, you're dead on there. Um, we need to truly take care of ourselves. This has, this have a reality check mm-hmm. in terms of what's going on. Disproportionately African-Americans and Latinos are dying. Right. This is very clear with regard to all the openings of the economy, who is going to be affected? Right. And so, to the degree that that policies, um, uh, national policies, local policies that affect our community, all of us have to be in the forefront to make sure that we take care of each other. Because if we don't take care of each other, regrettably, the larger population doesn't give a damn about us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, true. 
you've had an extensive list of activities uh, where you give back. In particular, you've sat on boards of Spelman, Tuskegee, and a number of other organizations and learning institutions. Is there a theme to your giving back, and, and, and what do you want your legacy to be? What I, do I want my legacy to be? I, um, um, I, I believe that um, uh, what I was able to do in, in terms of, of uh, starting a magazine that really touched the lives of, of so many um, African-American women. Uh, I remember uh, having breakfast uh, uh, in New Orleans at the, at the festival uh, at the hotel. And this lady came up to me and said, are you Ed Lewis? I said, yes, I am. She says, I'm from Mobile, Alabama. I'm 47 years old. Mm-hmm. She says, I just want to thank you. I can't begin to tell you what impact that you had on me in helping start this magazine. And so to the degree that, that um, I was able to, um, to make black women uh, feel good about themselves, uh, that they can see themselves as continuing to be beautiful and, and have impact um, um, means a great deal to me. And secondly, with regard to the importance of, of education, even more important, I believe, uh, the concentration or the understanding of why education is important. I'm, I'm involved with a, a charter school in New York called the Holland Village Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, it's the importance of reading, writing, arithmetic, having that kind of skill set uh, is, is going to be even more important as it relates to how we navigate, how we overcome, how we continue to still uh, be here. So I want my legacy of one of, of hopefully making a difference in the lives of millions of, of uh, African-American people who, who um, uh, made a decision to be supportive of something that I helped bring into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that brings uh, great joy to me. Look, um, this time has gone by so quickly. You know, I want to thank you for being a guest on Admire. And, um, you know, stay safe. Thank you. Be safe to you and your family and all of us. Thank you. Thank you.